0: Hello, good morning. Happy Christmas Eve. Oh, what? Happy New Year's Eve. <laughs> I've been saying that for weeks, you know? Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year's Eve, everyone. It is good to be here with you today. It's good to see you. I'm going to start with a brief story. I had an opportunity to tour some ruins. We, we, my family and I explored these, these ruins. It was a building, it was actually a combination of buildings that was built around the 1400s, as in 500 to 600 years ago. If you can do math, if you know history, that's before we were a nation. That's before the Reformation happened. That's before Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And there was a family that lived there from the 1400s for about 150 years until the mid-1600s or so in this four-story building. There was this one building, and then there were some outer courtyards. And And it was really cool to see that these courtyards, these walls, this building that was still intact, this ruin that has years and years of history. Like I said, the original family lived for about 150 years uh, for generations in this building. And then when they moved out, they gave it to another farm, uh, and farm laborers essentially stayed there as their accommodations. Have you ever experienced ruins like that? Like, you know, you as you're walking around, this place has such a rich history. There's so much to learn from this place. There's so much to, to glean, and the, the years, the generations, the hundreds of years of things that have happened here, that is so cool, it's so historic. There was once so much life in these places, but now, as we're looking at them, just as ruins, it's really nothing more than an artifact. It's nothing more than, let's call it a museum, The history is rich but there's not much to it anymore. It's something to look at, it's something to learn from, it's something that we can understand some history of and yet now it's nothing more than just something that once had life but is now simply just an artifact, a ruin. There's a lot of people that view the Bible in this way it's this document that has, it's, it's rich in history. There's some historical things in there. There's some weird people, you know, some weird things that have happened. But we look at this as it's, it's a historical document, and it once maybe had some relevance to everyday life, but today, uh, it's an irrelevant object. It's something to learn some history from, but now it's nothing more than a museum piece. It's the relic that sits on the shelf and stays on the shelf. It has no relevance for life today. It's simply a ruin. The American Bible Society had a study done in 2022, which is just last year, almost two years ago. Isn't that weird? Man, tomorrow's 2024. The American Bible Society found that roughly 26 million Americans had mostly or completely stopped reading the Bible in the last year. I'm gonna read that again. 26 million Americans stopped reading the Bible between 2021 and 2022. The lead researcher said, we reviewed our calculations, we double checked our math, we ran the numbers again and again, and what we discovered was startling, disheartening, and disruptive. You see, in 2021, about 50% of Americans said that they read the Bible on their own at least three to four times per year, 50%. And that number has actually stayed the same. From about 2011 to 2021, that number was consistent. 50% of Americans read the Bible at least three to four times a year. And then 2022, that number dropped 11 points from 50 to 39% of Americans saying they read the Bible at least three to four times per year. The research shows that this is the steepest decline in Bible reading in recorded history, and only about 10% of Americans now report daily Bible reading, and one out of every four Americans has never read the Bible more than just a few sentences. I find that fascinating. It sounds like we now look at this thing whoo, as something that picks up paper. We now look at this thing as a relic. Something that, yeah, maybe has had some historical relevance through the years when it was first written. Maybe it once had some application to it, but, but it really is irrelevant for life today. Something with an interesting history, but no real life inside. And on a day like today, which it's New Year's eve it's a day that we look back and think about okay how did i grow what did i do what did i accomplish over this last year and we're looking forward to tomorrow we're looking forward to this fresh new start who am i going to be in 2024 who do i want to become how do i want to grow it's a really important day to ask the question how are your bible reading habits like, where do you fall within the, those statistics? Maybe you're one, you're one of the one out of four people who reads the Bible every day and you love it, you show up and you get so much out of it. Maybe you're one of the 26 American, million Americans who have stopped reading the Bible over the last couple years. Maybe you have this desire to read the Bible. Maybe you actually want to grow. You have this like, deep desire to grow your relationship with God and you want to make it happen and you want to go deeper with him but if you were to assess your Bible reading over the last year, you'd find someone who isn't really growing. One author put it this way, Christians who don't read the Bible are only spiritual romantics. They dream about and desire a vibrant relationship with God without doing anything to actually see that kind of relationship develop. You see, it's pretty evident in Scripture that someone who wants a vibrant relationship with God spends time developing that relationship with God. In Deuteronomy 17, 19, it says, It is to be with him, talking about the law, the Bible. It's to be with him, and he's to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. Then Psalm 119, 9, and 11 says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? by living according to your word. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then in Joshua chapter 1, verse eight, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Again, it sounds pretty evident in scripture that if we want a growing, vibrant relationship with God, if we wanna be on the right path with God in our lives, We've got to be spending time reading his word. You see, it's not possible, possible to become a mature Christian without a growing knowledge of the Bible. The Bible is God's word. It's his special revelation to us. It's what he wants us to know about himself and about what he wants for us in this life. So today, as a day that is young and old have come together in this family Sunday here in the sanctuary, on a day that's the day before the brand new year, I'd like to challenge you to crack open that ruin that is called scripture. And as you do, I think you're gonna grow. So let's talk practically, how? How in the world do we grow by reading something that's literally older than ruins to grow our relationship with God? And to answer this question, I thought we can give you really clear, understandable, easy to digest, practical application points. Like I could give you things just A, B, C, and D, you're good to go, we're on our way, but it's New Year's Eve, and you're not really here. Like you're maybe on vacation, like school break, and your brain is mush, you're not ready to learn, maybe you were just sick, and you're like, now just... You're just trying to get back into the flow of things. Maybe you're just coming back from a vacation, and you're like, I wish I was still in Florida. Like, I just, I don't want to be here. Maybe um, you have, like, a raving party later, maybe, and you're just, like, thinking about that and ready to go to that. And so today, I thought, you know, we're not going to be just straightforward and simple. Today's a good day to have some fun. So we're going to pretend. Are you ready to pretend with me? Yes. Thank you. The first service was like, huh? Alright. So here's here, here's where we're gonna pretend. This is Papa's rocking chair. Papa, you know who he is. He is the wide old sage of a grandfather. And he loves his rocking chair. You're gonna find him here. This is his wraparound porch in upstate, probably somewhere in the middle of Adirondacks, New York. Backcountry status. This is Papa's chair. And this is your chair. I'm just gonna. Oh, no, I can't do that. This is your chair. This is where you are learning from Papa. You are just devouring his every word because he's so wise. He's so smart. He knows exactly what you need to hear. Oh, I forgot. Papa has a fire going. Papa has a fire going. There we go. (laughs) I don't know why he has a fire on his porch, but he's Papa, he can do what he wants. Nobody questions him, who knows. Um, But this this is the setup. And today we're gonna learn as if Papa is teaching us. I'll show you what I mean. Papa, how do we grow? What habits can we put in our life to help us engage with this ruin that we call scripture? And the first thing that he says is you don't assume what a chicken looks like based solely on the nuggets. What? (laughs) What? Papa, what are you talking about? Like, you don't don't assume what you know what a chicken looks like based solely on the nuggets. It's kind of like this picture. Um, I mean... This is the, okay, so this is the only habit that we're talking about today that has a picture that goes along with it. And Papa originally said, like, don't dissect the frog before you see it jump. Uh, But I thought that would be too weird of a picture to show, so I asked him to change it a little bit, and this is what he came up with. Don't assume what the chicken looks like based solely on the nuggets. Here's the habit in a clearer language. Read more than one verse at a time. What would happen if somebody goes to Chick-fil-A or McDonald's and they have a picture of what a chicken looks like based only on the nugget itself, they've only ever seen a nugget, nugget, they've never seen the whole chicken, they would assume some pretty strange things about chickens, just like that picture. In the same way, we look at the Bible and we take one verse out and we look at it and we assume we know what the entirety of the Bible is talking about based on the one verse that we read. And while that's not inherently bad to just read a verse at a time, there's a danger that we might not get the whole picture. We might not hear the whole story. If all we read was one verse at a time, we might, we might be missing out. We can probably think the modern chapter and verse editions that we have in our Bibles, the big numbers at the start of the chapters, the little numbers at the start of the verses, they were not in our Bibles until the 16th century, and they were put in for clarity, to help us to be able to find things in Scripture. Can you imagine sitting here, me talking to you, and me saying, okay, let's all read the Bible together, turn to the 34th paragraph in Romans, and where Paul says the word sin for the 13th time, that's where, I want sh- that's where I want you to go today. Are you there? No? I'll wait. Like, that would be excruciating. That would be awful. Like, we're not, nobody has time for that. So the chapters and verses are amazing. They really help us as we are able to find things quickly in Scripture. But it also allows us to take out one verse at a time and hold it as truth, without looking at the surrounding passage. We might, if we just do that, if we just pull out one verse at a time, we might miss out on the big picture of the Bible. And the big picture of the Bible is that it is a library of books that are together to tell a big, beautiful story about God's redemption of all things. It's a story that moves and progresses as it goes along. And the climax of the story is the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. It's really the whole of the Bible is a story about how God loves his creation so much that he stops at nothing to see us rescued. In 2 Tim- Timothy chapter 3, Paul is talking to Timothy and he's explaining what it looks like to live a Christ-like life and how to lead a church. And and he says, all scripture, talking to Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and he's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We might not see this clearly if all we're reading is one verse at a time and moving on if we just read the verse of the day and check the list, if we just read one verse on a Sunday morning and then forget it the rest of the week, we might assume we're gaining an understanding of the Bible when in reality, all we're seeing is a single nugget and not really understanding the whole picture. So instead of just reading one verse at a time, the first habit that Papa is telling us today is that we should Read in bigger chunks. Maybe read a whole chapter at a time. Maybe even a whole book if it's a short one. Maybe read until the author concludes or the story is ended. Uh, Maybe we can, if we do that, gain a better understanding of who God is, what he's calling us to do. Because we may find that it's helpful to understand the whole story a lot better. We might actually be able to see the chicken and not just the nugget. And that's Papa's first piece of advice. Isn't he a wise guy? He's got some age old, like sage life-like wisdom. So don't assume what a chicken looks like that is based solely on the nuggets or read more than one verse at a time. So let's go back to the rocking chair. Let's go back. We're sitting here. Papa's there. Papa, that's great. I'm going to start instituting this habit in the new year of reading more than one verse at a time. Papa, what are you saying next to us? How can we continue to grow through reading this thing that it seems like a ruin? And the, the next thing he says is, you can't grow if you're not willing to eat like a cow. What? You can't, you can't grow if you're not willing to eat like a cow. Papa, what, what are you saying? Do you know what cows, how they eat? It's fascinating. Go- Google it. They, exactly, they have four chambers in their stomach and they eat grass, and the grass goes into the chambers number one and number two. And then later on in the day, when the cow gets hungry again, she regurgitates the grass that she originally put in chambers one and two and she starts chewing on it again. Isn't that great? Isn't that amazing? The things you learn at church. She starts chewing on it again, and she chews it until it's you know, in a new state of whatever mush you can call grass that's chewed, and then it goes into, I would assume, chambers three and four of her stomach. Again, Papa, what in the world are you saying? I think he's saying chew and meditate on scripture. Swallow it. Regurgitate it. Chew on it some more. Check this out. There is a passage in Isaiah chapter 31, verse 4, that says this. It says, as a lion growls, a great lion over its prey. You've seen probably planet Earth or animal planet. You've seen some shows that show a lion chewing its prey. Like it caught the deer, the antelope, whatever you, the lion is going after, it's caught it. That zebra is dead, and that lion is going to town. You can picture the protective nature of that lion, the fact that it has passion over its, over its catch. There's satisfaction there. It is gnawing and chewing and devouring that prey. What's really cool is the same word that's translated growls is also a word that's translated in Joshua 1.8, Psalm 1.2, and Psalm 63.6. Let's read those. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate. The same word in the Hebrew Old Testament for growls, and you picture that, that growling, that that devouring of prey, is the same word that's used to translate meditate. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, then you'll be prosperous and successful. Psalm one, verse two, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. And then Psalm 63, verse six. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you or meditate through the watches of the night. So to meditate is to chew and swallow, to pour over like a lion growling over its prey. So we should be pouring over thinking about chewing, swallowing, reprocessing God's word throughout the day. But so often, when we read the Bible, we do so in a way that is just checking it off the list. Read the verse of the day, check. Read the daily bread, check. Read my one chapter I'm supposed to read and move on to everything else that I have to do the day, check. There's an Austrian theologian, his name was Baron Friedrich Friedrich von Hugel, that's a great name, and he once said that when we read the Bible, it should be like letting a very slowly dissolving lozenge melt imperceptibly in your mouth. So I guess I'll ask this question. Are we letting God's word feed our souls? Maybe even several times a day, are we processing it in such a way that it comes back to us and makes us think and chew throughout the day. I think if we develop a habit like that, where we're chewing the right kind of truth, we'll become spiritually healthier, just like eating the right kind of food makes us physically healthier. Because you can't grow, again, Papa, you're wise, you can't grow if you're not willing to eat like a cow. He knows what he's talking about. So let's just recap real quick. Don't assume you know what the chicken looks like based solely on the nuggets, or read more than one verse at a time don't you and then you can't grow if you're not willing to eat like a cow or chew and meditate on scripture. Here's next. Papa, what's another habit that we can institute into our daily life this new year when we read the Bible? I think he would say this. You can't win the Super Bowl if you're the only one on the team. He he would also go on to say, I don't care if you're Joe Montana. You can't do it alone. What an outdated reference. Joe Montana, really, 49ers? Like, he's old, he's old. That's why he he loved the 49ers back then. Today we would say somebody like Patrick Mahomes, or if you think soccer is the true football, you would say somebody like Martin Odegaard or somebody from your favorite football team. Here's what Papa means. If you can't win the Super Bowl by being the only one on the team, we need to read in community. Because today, especially in our culture, Bible reading is a solo sport. It's something that we do. We have our daily devotionals, our quiet time. We hardly ever read the Bible in community. Don't get me wrong, I do this all the time. I read the Bible alone all the time. In fact, my wife and I um, just finished, and again, I say my wife and I, but I did it myself and she did it herself. We just finished reading the Bible in a year and we did it alone. I mean, it's what we do. And I'm not saying don't read the Bible alone because there's so much goodness that comes from that. But if I only read the Bible alone, there might be a few problems. First, we're not able to wrestle with the harder scripture passages in community. We're not able to bounce them off of others and process. What could this mean together? And then we're left with our questions. We're left with uncomfortable, unaddressed doubt. And then if we're only reading alone, We're not able to learn from each other. There's huge benefit in learning from the the age experience and wisdom of other people, and reading alone keeps us from those opportunities. And finally, reading the Bible only in isolation, we don't give the text the opportunity to mold us and shape us as a community. Because we're all about personal application in our society. We're about, what, what does this mean to me? How does this make me better? rather than asking, what does this mean for us as the community of Christ? You see, the Bible is actually a community formation book. In the Old Testament, they would read the Torah, the law, together in the synagogues, and they would discuss it, and they would talk about the meaning and the interpretation for their day. New Testament books were letters written to communities. Even if it was addressed to a single person, the intention was this letter would be read aloud in a church and then circulated among churches in that day. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, "'Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. "'For he who promised is faithful. "'Let us consider how we may spur one another on "'toward love and good deeds.'" Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. You see, the author of Hebrews knew we needed to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. And it is so difficult to do that when we're not together. We need to hold on to Christ, and it is so much easier when we're walking alongside others together. Together. So we absolutely must read the Bible together. And this happens on Sunday mornings. Like when we get together like this, this is a reading of the Bible together, but it also happens in homes with families. It happens in small groups. I would love our small groups to be little Bible book clubs where we read something and we grow from it. Where we read and we chew and we process and we discuss and we ask questions. And it allows us to shape, it allows the Bible to shape us as a community. But, let's be honest, hold on a quick second. Let's be honest, Papa's right. It is so much easier to win the Super Bowl when we're not the only one on the team. And we need each other to grow together In community, and help each other figure out what it looks like to read a ruin and apply it to our lives. And finally, I think Papa has saved the best for last. I think he has saved the best piece of advice for last because he knows what we need to hear. He knows exactly what the church today needs to hear. And I think he's been thinking about this one for a long time because I think if we institute this one habit that he's about to say, one habit, it can change the way we approach scripture. It can change the way we read the Bible in 2024. You ready for it? No, okay, we can stop, it's fine. Okay, you ready for it? Yes. Papa, what one piece of advice could transform the way that we read the Bible? No one wakes up on New Year's Day and craves kale. What? Two things here. One, I, I love that Papa knows what kale is. Like, how forward of him. Like, it's just great. Like, Papa, you're, you're so beyond your time. You know exactly what kale is and how good it is for you. The second thing is this I think Papa understands. Hold on just a second. Can um, somebody grab a water? Water would be, nope. I get a dry throat sometimes when I'm talking all morning, and uh, it's happened before, and I always usually have a water with me up here. Whew, sorry guys. So, no one wakes up on New Year's Eve and craves kale. Thanks, Eric, appreciate it. So often we think, man, I've got a I've got to work out this new year. I'm going to eat healthy this new year. I'm going to, you know, if if I've never run a marathon before, I'm going to run one this year. Anybody like that? No? Okay, cool. Let's just say it's a 5K. You've never run a 5K before, and tomorrow morning there are 5Ks all over the place because it's New Year's Day and it's a thing to do. You're like, I'm deciding today I'm going to run a 5K tomorrow. You're going to hate life. Like, you're gonna, you're gonna hate yourself tomorrow evening as you all of a sudden have shin splints, you're so sore, your feet are swollen. Like, it's just, it's an awful experience if you've never done anything like that before. We think that if we can make a decision to read the Bible in a new year, man, this is gonna be awesome. I'm gonna open up to Genesis. I'm gonna get into Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Oh, so good and there's going to be nothing but desire because like you're a Christian you should want to read the bible right can i tell you you could you could automatically have a desire to read the bible and it could be good 9 times out of 10 this gets really boring and it gets difficult and you're going to want to quit it doesn't matter where you start in the bible if this is not a regular practice in your life already this is a difficult practice to start because we think we're gonna wake up tomorrow morning, I wanna be healthy, I'm gonna start craving kale, it's gonna be good. You're not gonna to wanna to crave kale. You're gonna want the leftovers from last night. But when we make a decision, it doesn't automatically lead to desire. When we make a decision, we've gotta discipline ourselves And through discipline, I believe desire will grow. So we have these three Ds, decision demands discipline. Discipline will then determine direction. And as you begin to see results, as you begin to discipline yourself to read God's word, you're going to see God growing you over time. It's not going to be an overnight thing. January 2nd, you're not going to be an instantly new person you're going to see how God is growing you, speaking to you, and changing you over time. And that's a key word, is over time. And then as you see that direction begin to happen, you're going to want to desire more of it. So discipline yourself to read God's word, and that's what's going to lead to you wanting to eat kale or wanting to read the Bible. And that doesn't matter if you're a Christian, that is true about anything that you need to do in your life to become a healthier person. Discipline yourself. It's like in First Timothy chapter 4, Paul tells Timothy, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value. But godliness, godliness holds value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. See, discipline is the ability to make yourself do something when you don't want to do it. Eugene Peterson says, discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. So as we wake up each morning, we make a decision each and every day to discipline ourselves. And as we discipline ourselves, we'll start walking in the direction and we'll see that direction and those results develop. And as we see that, our desire grow. So no one wakes up on New Year's Day and craves kale. Hey, I, I love that one. That is my favorite application point out of all of this. I think Papa is wise beyond even the old years that he is, and I think there's so much to learn from that. So let's recap. Habit number one Don't assume you know what a chicken looks like based solely on the nuggets. So as you approach the Bible this new year, read more than one verse at a time. Habit number two, you can't grow if you're not willing to eat like a cow. Don't just check the box. Think about it. Pray through it. Chew on it. Meditate on that truth. Habit number three, you can't win the Super Bowl if you're the only one on the team. Get together with some people, your family, your small group. By the way, small group and study registrations are open today. We're going to be advertising them all next Sunday, but you can register today. If you're not in a community with others who are regularly helping each other chew on and process scripture, please do yourself a favor this new year. Get into a small group or study. And then habit number four, no one wakes up on New Year's Day and craves kale no matter how much it feels like chewing kale, discipline yourself to read, to study, to grow. And as we engage in this practice, I think if we engage in these habits, we're gonna grow. And that's really the purpose of of reading the Bible, right? To know God more and to grow according to how he wants us to grow. And just know you're not the one doing the growing, You're doing the work of showing up to the one who will grow you. So this year, show up and do the work and put yourself in a place where God can grow you. We have some Bible reading plans out in the lobby. You probably saw them as you walked in. You may have grabbed them as you walked in. I just want to highlight them real quick because these are tools that will help us grow. We've got a a plan called the Navigator's Bible Reading Plan. This is a 12-month through the entire Bible plan. It looks intimidating. It's one day at a time. The next one is a New Testament reading plan, and it's called 5 by 5 by 5 It's five days a week, gives you two days to catch up with what you missed. It says it's five minutes a day. My wife and I are going to go through this this year. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a great exercise together. And then we have two uh, blue ones out there. One is for high school. It links to a version Bible app reading plan that our high schoolers are going to be going through this month. And there's a middle school one, which is uh, kind of the same plan, but it's not on a phone, and it helps the middle schoolers really engage 21 days with what it looks like to be a disciple. And then we have two yellow ones. One is for third through fifth graders. It's one month. 10 minutes a day for third through fifth graders, and then the kindergarten through second graders understanding that this is probably a parent and child reading together. Now, there's a lot of plans, and and there's a whole lot of plans out there. These are two adult ones. There are thousands of Bible reading plans out there that everyone says is the best one. But at the end of the day, it's not about the plan. Don't get stressed about getting the right plan. Because it's, it's really just all about reading the Bible and getting into God's Word. So, read bigger chunks. Read more than one verse at a time. Do some chewing. Do some processing. Get together with other believers to encourage and challenge and process together in community and then have the discipline to keep going even when it feels like eating kale. As we close today, I want to just tell you one quick story. There was a professor From America in the 1950s and he took a one-year professor job at Oxford University in England so he and his wife moved to Oxford for a year before the semester started they decided we should probably get to know our town a little bit we should probably figure out what it means to to be a part of the community and we should probably know where we're going so they started walking through town and to their surprise they found a lot of ruins a lot of old buildings a lot of these buildings that are just like, man, these are, these are decrepit old brick buildings. Like who, stone buildings, brick, like there's a lot of things here that just that don't have any life anymore. There's a lot of history there, but there's no life. Well, to their surprise, the wife looked in one building and she kind of peeked through a window, which I don't recommend, just randomly doing that on the street. But She peeked through a window and there were curtains. Beyond the curtains, there was a light on and she could see people moving in the room. And she exclaimed, honey, these ruins are inhabited. (laughs) There's there's life in these ruins. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is living and active. And just like this woman thought there was no life in these ruins, so many people think that there's no life in this text that it's simply a historical document that may have some really cool ethical truths, but there's nothing more to it. Just like this woman, when she was walking around Oxford, took a peek inside, she found that there was so much more to it than just a ruin. And when we open the scripture and we peek inside we'll find that there's so much more to it than just a ruin. We might actually see that there's life. We might actually see that God is showing us something. We might actually, we might actually be changed in this new year. So what's your plan? What's your plan this new year? How are you going to decide to engage with this text? I would love for us to be a church community, a church body that sees the Bible not as a ruin, but as the word of God, the complete revelation for, for salvation, the divine and final authority for Christian life and faith. Because yes, it is older than ruins. But like, like Papa knows, when we approach it in the right way, there's life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that there is life in these ruins. That in reality, it's not ruins after all. I thank you that you have revealed your word through people given to us, that you help us to know you more through this text. God, I ask that you would give us the the discipline to approach it this year, the discipline to not be like the 26 million Americans who have completely stopped reading the Bible. God, help us. Help us to engage in your word, and I ask, God, as we do, that you would grow us through the process. Grow us into the people you've created us to be. Grow this church into the church that you want us to be. We pray these things in your name. Amen.